Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Noreen Doherty. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and enjoyed what was a busy and exciting feast week of women's basketball. There were a lot of tournaments that took place over the past week, most notably probably the Las Vegas Invitational. Um, apparently what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. It ends up on Twitter for everyone to criticize and get pissed off at how women's basketball teams are being treated. So if you haven't heard, the Las Vegas Invitational, it was one court set up in a conference slash ballroom kind of area at the Mirage Hotel. There were no bleachers, for the fans, they had folding chairs set up. I've been to tournaments where they play in a conference and ballroom, and you can make it look nice. Like, when I went to Cancun, to the Cancun Challenge with Temple Women's Basketball, it was set up very nice. Like, you wouldn't even realize it was a ballroom. It had stands all on all four sides of the court. The scorer's table looked like a normal scorer's table and I just thought the tournament was very well run which it does not seem this was the case in Vegas. The The players were told to bring towels from their hotel rooms because the tournament would not be providing them. There were no signage anywhere at the hotel that a tournament was going on. There was no signage in the ballroom. It was just like a blank court, basically, in a ballroom. Nothing on the scores. Well, I think they had like an ad or something on the scores table, but that was it. No signs anywhere. They were told it was going to look like the uh, Athletes Unlimited court um, from Vegas over the past summer, but it looked nothing like that. Like the Athletes Unlimited setup had this huge like video board. There was no, nothing like that. There was like a maybe one or two flat screen TVs that had the score of the game on it. But I mean, it just, it did not look like what teams were told it was going to look like. Oh, this, this is good. Team shooter, shoot arounds were at a local middle school because only one court at the tournament. So not even a high school. They're going to middle school gyms for their shoot around because there's only one court. There were a bunch of clock issues, having to reset the clock, shot clock coming unplugged. And then this is the killer for me. It took EMTs 40 minutes to arrive after an Auburn player hit the ground hard. And I saw one interview on SportsCenter, a former Indiana player from the 80s who was there to watch the sixth ranked Hoosiers called 911 twice to get EMTs there. For the player. Like, why Why were there no EMTs at the location that's having a basketball tournament with these elite players that are giving it their all? Injuries are bound to happen, and they're, they don't have any precautionary setup with EMTs. That's ridiculous to me. So then, after doing more digging, the tournament director's name is Bryce McKee. And in 2015, he was charged with sexual abuse against a former player that he coached while at Xavier. And I found this quote in the Cincinnati Inquirer, quote, McKee has been ordered to stay away from the woman who accused him and to not contact her by any means. 
McKee may not come within 500 feet of the woman, Xavier University's campus, or any Xavier event, unquote. So why is he allowed to host a women's basketball tournament when he is being ordered not to be near any Xavier event, Xavier University in general? Like, obviously, Xavier couldn't go play at this tournament. Actually, I don't think he was there. He was at another tournament he was hosting in Florida. But regardless, Xavier wasn't going to be a part of one of his events. So that just boggles my mind. Obviously, the teams didn't know that this tournament director had these allegations or charges against him. So I don't know. It's just this whole thing was just ridiculous. They could have played somewhere much better, had such a better trip elsewhere. These Thanksgiving tournaments are for teams to have that bonding time and experience. And it's it's so important at the beginning of the season to really get to know one another, really get that camaraderie going. And, you know, they missed the mark on that with this Las Vegas tournament. If they just had to deal with all this stupid shit. Like, imagine if this was Duke or Kentucky men's basketball and they were being told to bring towels from their hotel rooms because the tournament wasn't providing any for them, that that's, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. They would have bleachers. They would have everything they needed. But because it's women's basketball, they get crumbs. It's just so infuriating and I'm so sick of it. And I'm sh- obviously all the players and coaches and everyone's just sick of it. And I don't know what the solution is. I mean, the solution is giving women the same, the same treatment as the men, but they're still not. And it's, it's just frustrating. You would think since the 2021 Women's NCAA Tournament in San Antonio, where everyone was in the bubble and they had all that controversy with the food not being up to par the weight room just being a a rack of dumbbells and some yoga mats, and then the men getting, you know, gourmet meals in a full weight room. You would think from that tournament that people would learn that we need to treat women's basketball players just the same as men's basketball players. It's just not fair. It's not fair, and I don't know why people aren't learning and why women are still being treated, like, less than the men. It's ridiculous. As you could tell, this this really pisses me off. This is something I'm very passionate about and I I just can't stand when women are not treated the same as men when it comes to sports. And mind you, all these games that were played at the Las Vegas Invitational and a handful of other tournaments, they're all being uh, broadcast on Flow Hoops, which nobody has access to. Nobody wants to buy it. And so how are we going to grow the game when we can't watch these games? Like, why can't it be on ESPN? I know there's a million games going on. I know. But there has to be a better way than Flow Hoops. Can we just cancel Flow Hoops? (laughs) Let's start it now. Hashtag cancel Flow Hoops because I'm sick of them and I'm not paying for them. Their broadcast sucks. (laughs) I want to watch women's basketball, but I can't when it's on Flow Hoops. Okay, end rant on Flow Hoops. But there, there's just got to be a better way when it comes to these tournaments. I mean, obviously, nobody's going back to this Las Vegas tournament. That's not happening. I'm pretty sure one of the, the site coordinators said we will not be back, which 
I mean, good, because that nobody wants to go. Go to Cancun. I'm telling you, Cancun was a great setup. The Battle for Atlantis looks like a great setup. The Paradise Jam and Virgin Islands. There's other places. We don't need to go to Vegas. Hashtag cancel Vegas Invitational. Hashtag cancel Flow Hoops. All right, I'm done on that topic. <laughs> okay, what looked to be a very well-run tournament was the Phil Knight Invitational slash the Phil Knight Legacy. So it was like two different brackets um, out in Portland, Oregon. So the Phil Knight Invitational, the winner of that was North Carolina. They beat number 18 Oregon and number five Iowa State to win the Phil Knight Invitational. So in this week's poll, they moved up from number eight to number six. The Tar Heels have not been in the top five since November of 2009. This Tar Heels team is definitely one to watch. They're being led by Deja Kelly, who led UNC with 29 points, 22 of them coming after halftime in the championship win over Iowa State. She leads the Tar Heels with 17.8 points per game and adds 5.2 rebounds, while Alyssa Ustby adds 15.5 points per game and a team-high 8.3 rebounds per game. They have four players averaging double-digit points, so they have many people that can contribute. I'm really excited because this Thursday, December 1st, the Tar Heels are going to play at number five, Indiana. That's going to be an amazing matchup. It's being streamed on Big Ten Networks, which I believe if you have Hulu Live, they have Big Ten Network because I think I watched a game on Big Ten Network on my Hulu Live. So you should be able to watch it there if you have Hulu Live. But both teams are undefeated. So I think it's going to be a nail biter to the very end. <laughs> Playing in the Phil Knight Legacy Championship game was number three UConn and number nine Iowa, which it felt like a March matchup. <laughs> it was a great game to watch. Aaliyah Edwards had probably the best game of her career thus far. She was named MVP of the tournament. In that game, she had 20 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, a block, and a steal. For Iowa, they were led by Caitlin Clark, 25 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 1 block. Iowa led 41-35 to at the half after they had a huge big quarter where they outscored the Huskies 27-15. to Then, after the half, UConn did what UConn does. They took over and outscored Iowa 51-38 to to win the game. Now, this week, UConn is, they remain number three, while Iowa drops down a spot to number 10. I really enjoyed watching this game. I'm hoping for another UConn-Iowa matchup come March. I would love to see Caitlin Clark beat UConn. She has yet to do it in her career. I know she's only a junior and has another year, which, I mean, if she were to do it next year when Paige Beckers is back, that would be incredible. But again, I would love to see her beat UConn because that seems to be her and Iowa's kryptonite thus far. They have yet to beat the Huskies. So I'm hoping to see it. We'll see if it happens. I, I really don't know because UConn just seems to always take over in these games against the Hawkeyes. But 
you never know what could happen. So, there was a bit of excitement down at the Paradise Jam tournament in the Virgin Islands. Georgia played VCU, and in the first quarter, four Georgia players were ejected. Jordan Isaacs, a Georgia player, shoved two VCU players after what she believed was a missed foul, and then apparently some Georgia players left the bench and a little scuffle broke out. Again, I can't watch it because it was on Flow Hoops. But anyways, then in the third quarter, another Georgia player was ejected when Chloe Chapman kicked a VCU player while they're on the floor scrambling for a loose ball. So a total of five Georgia players were ejected. Coach Abe had no plans to suspend any of the players, but the SEC stepped in and suspended Chapman for the final game of the tournament against Seton Hall based on the, quote, NCAA definition of fighting, unquote. Georgia then lost their first game of the season to Seton Hall. But regardless of the loss, Diamond Battles was named tournament MVP after averaging 17.6 points per game. I guess I'm just confused by two things here. One, why did Coach Abe not plan on suspending anyone after five of her players were ejected? I don't know if the refs were just, like, whistle-happy and wanted to just eject everyone, or if there was a serious issue, like, if Jordan Isaacs really got in someone's face. I know she apologized on Twitter following the incident, but... I'm curious how in that situation, four players were ejected after one player shoves two players of the opposing team. And then the the fifth player to be ejected, Chloe Chapman, she kicks someone while on the ground. Coach A doesn't intend on suspending her, but then the SEC steps in. I just feel like that's a bad look when you don't suspend your players and then the conference has to step in. But I'm not a coach. I don't know what happened. I didn't see what happened. So I I guess I can't say too much. But then the other thing, it's not I don't think this is a huge thing, but how how does Diamond Battles get tournament MVP when they lost the final game? I guess she just played that well. But it was only 17.6 points per game. Again, I'm saying only 17.6, which is still a lot, but I don't know. I don't know. Two things to think about. But anyways, the Bulldogs look to return to the win column this Thursday when they host Furman. So we'll see what happens. All right, there are two players of note that I want to talk about. First is being All-American Rory Harmon finally making her debut for Texas this season. Texas hosted Princeton on Sunday, November 27th. Harmon started and scored 11 points, had two assists, a rebound, and a steal. This is after missing the first five games of the season. So I'm excited to see what happens as she starts to get acclimated back to being in the game with this Texas team. I think Texas may start to move back up the polls. They actually moved down three spots to number 22 in this week's poll. So now that they have Harmon back, I could see them climbing their way back up. I don't know if they'll get back to the top 10, but we'll see.
They play South Florida this Friday at home, which South Florida is 7-2 and two so far on the season, but their last two losses came in back-to-back games over this past weekend against Michigan and Villanova. So now they're playing number 22, Texas, followed by number 12, NC State, on Sunday. So not sure how the Bulls are going to hold up against Texas, but again, I'm excited to see what Rory Harmon does with this Texas team now that she's back. And the next player I want to talk about is Maddie Segrist of Villanova. She scored her 2,000th career point in the Wildcats' 72-50 win over South Florida at the Gulf Coast Showcase this past weekend. She's just the third player at Villanova to score more than 2,000 points. Shelly Pennefather, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but she played at Villanova from 1983 to 87, and she holds the record for most points with 2,000 408, which is well within Seagrass' sight. She has scored more than 500 points each season at Villanova, including 684 last year. So if she continues on this pace, which she's averaging 27.4 points per game to lead the country, she could very well become Villanova's all-time scoring leader. But regardless of Seagrass' accomplishment, Villanova moved down two spots to number 25 after falling to Baylor this past Saturday at the Gulf Coast Showcase. The Wildcats start Big East play this Friday when they host number 13 Creighton, which is going to be broadcast on none other than Flow Hoops. I know I just said hashtag cancel Flow Hoops, but do I just bite the bullet and buy it for this game? I really want to watch it. Creighton has been having a really good season. They're 6-0, and and Villanova is 6-1. and Oh my god. I really, I don't want to buy it, but I just might. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, I have two more quick things I want to mention before I wrap things up. The first is Tennessee is out of the polls. They went one and two at the battle for Atlantis. And then this past weekend, they picked up two wins, but it wasn't enough to keep them in the top 25. This upcoming Sunday, December 4th, they'll host number nine, Virginia Tech. And if they beat Tech, I think they could find their way back into the top 25. But unless that happens, I think they have a lot to work on before they find their way back into the poll. Second thing is... LSU didn't score 100 points this past week. (laughs) They played at the Goombe Splash in Bimini. They beat George Mason 80-52, and they also beat UAB 99-64. So they were just close, but weren't weren't able to get over that hump in the final seconds. They play Southeastern Louisiana and Tulane this week. So we'll see if they have another 100-point game in them. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Make sure you follow, rate, whatever, this podcast on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow the podcast at Women's Hoops Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. And my social media is at Nor N Zero R Darty D O U G H E R T Y on both Twitter and Instagram. 
Until next week, bye y'all.